Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of An Ingenious You Mini. I am joined today by Bob Atkins, who serves as CEO and founder of the rapidly growing and expanding company, Gray Associates. Bob is the keynote presenter for our upcoming Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Ed webinar uh, series entitled The Post-Pandemic Curriculum, Using Market and Economic Data to Shape a Future-Focused Academic Program. The webinar is scheduled for May 26th, 2021 at 12 o'clock noon Eastern time until 1 p.m. The registration link is included in the show notes for this episode. So welcome, welcome, Bob. Thank you very much, Melissa. It's great to be here. Now let's start uh, by having you give us all a, a high level thumbnail sketch, maybe your elevator pitch, if you will, about Gray Associates. Who do you serve and why might somebody hire you? Gray, we believe, offers the best available data, software, and facilitated services to help higher education institutions make program decisions. So let me unpack that a little bit. We have all kinds of databases on employment, student demand, and other things. We bring those together in some software so you can get a one-page snapshot with 50 variables on it about a particular program. And um, we run facilitated processes where we bring together academics and administrators within a college or university and have them work with the data to make uh, in better informed program decisions. And importantly in that process, they're also faster and uh, everybody has a voice. So that some of the feedback that you often hear out of program choices of I wasn't included or let's go on strike because somebody told us what to do, you know, doesn't happen if you run this process. So that's been great, you know, and there've been all kinds of fun decisions about programs to grow, but also some fairly tough decisions about things that needed to be downsized uh, without the kind of rancor you often hear. So the combination of data, a good system and a facilitated process lets you get through this uh, more efficiently. I think better decisions are made um, and uh, doesn't create the backlash you sometimes get. And I should say one other thing about Gray, which is occasionally we make recommendations, but only when we're forced to. Um, so we don't believe that consultants should be recommending to colleges what academic programs to offer. There are too many unique things about an institution, about the individual markets it's involved in, and about an individual program that we just can't know at that level of detail for all our clients. Uh, and second, you know, when you get everybody involved, better decisions get made. Um, and I've kind of looked at what I would have recommended coming into a workshop and what the folks have come up with, and generally they do better. So. <laughs> Well, sounds like exactly what most of us need these days, just given what's happening in higher education. So um, let's, let's talk about your upcoming webinar. Um, the title of your webinar suggests that you think that academic leaders may need to be thinking differently about their academic program portfolios uh, now and in the days ahead. So is that true? And if so, tell us why, why you believe that. I do believe it's true. I also think it's a change that's well underway now. So there was a time uh, not very long ago when the way programs were selected was, uh, you know, somebody came to you. It could be any one of a number of political stakeholders, a board member, a faculty member, um, a local employer of some size and said, you really ought to, you know, launch this program. And, you know, there'd be some data put together. It was often painful to put together. 
And somebody would go and look at that one program and decide if it was worth launching or, you know, if it's an existing program that you should invest in or if it was, you know, some, it was a very anecdotal process. Um, and as a result, there were a lot of new programs launched, but few successes. Um, and one thing, higher ed, much like the rest of uh, even businesses, it's a lot easier to start something than it is to kill it. Um, and so these things would linger on the books. I remember one of our clients told me a funny story recently where uh, they launched a new program and uh, it was on the books for three years and never actually taught a single student um, <laughs> because uh, they were going to teach people to fly drones and somebody forgot to include the cost of the drone um, in the program analysis. And on top of that, they're within three miles of an airport. So you couldn't fly a drone there anyway. Um, so, you know, that it, it, it didn't even uh, ever get uh, to fruition. But it's that putting a little more discipline in the process, I think it's going to be very important to people moving forward, because you really do have to launch programs if you're going to grow, uh, and you can't afford to be launching the wrong ones. And it's an increasingly crowded market, so finding one that will really work for you is not a trivial endeavor. Well, in this, my next question may be uh, related, so I'm going to ask you to, make, to, to perhaps expand on your, um, your thinking a little bit. And so... Uh, if I were to ask you what's wrong with the way that many college and universities approach academic program planning today, you would obviously say you talk about the lack of discipline, and I think the example you gave was a was a great example. But are there some are there some other things that that you have seen that you think are missing from the process? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of other things that are really problematic. Um, one is there's a widespread belief that cutting programs will reduce cost. Usually this comes from institutions that have never run the numbers. Um, and when we, I was surprised, I thought this would be true uh, myself. I mean, it's logical. You have a program, you get rid of the program, costs go down. But um, in fact, there are programs where literally no cost changes uh, when you cut the program, because it turns out all the courses are already offered and serve other students. My favorite example, this was a master's in teaching for mathematics in one state. And I was, you know, there are four graduates a year and I called the question in a meeting and they said, well, you know, Bob, there really is no cost. I said, nothing has no cost. And, and then he went on to explain that all the master's programs in teaching were the same teaching courses that they used for their other master's in education, which was a fairly large field for them. And all the math courses were undergraduate math. So there are literally no incremental courses for that program. And maybe there was an administrator that worried over it somewhere. But um, when we ran the numbers, it turned out that program was perfectly profitable. Uh, and so there's, you, you've really got there. The, and the other myth is that small programs are particularly likely to lose money. They are more likely to lose money, but more than half of small programs that we look at make money. So if you go into these kind of across the board cuts, I'll cut everything with four graduates or whatever, you end up losing money because revenue falls faster than cost. Um, and uh, so that's a, that's a myth. It comes accompanied often uh, by, you know, business people on the board and others who, you know, look at this and say, this has to be get more efficient. Um, and so, and we need to do it fast, especially if the, the institution is in some sort of financial duress, which is all too common these days. Um, and, you know, they, they make a top-down decision often using one of these simple rules of thumb. And my experience is that just backfires. First of all, you don't save very much money. Um, and second, uh, all hell breaks loose on campus. 
Um, and as it should, because people say, well, this is a data, you know, why is this a good decision? And it turns out there isn't much. Um, and so you end up in the situation where you've broken some of the really important rules in higher education, like uh, co-curricular, excuse me, uh, the joint faculty and administrative governance of the institution. Um, you, you could potentially even put yourself in accreditation trouble and all that for not saving very much money. Um, so that's another kind of mistake, I think, is a top-down, um, under-informed uh, decision-making process um, that creates more heat than light. And I've seen that play out on uh, more campuses than I care to, I care it's to very uh, common admit. It's very days. common. Yeah. Good way for presidents so, to lose their job. Well, and provost. provost. Um, so. <laughs> Indeed. So what are two or three things that academic leaders need to be doing right now as they're shaping their academic programs for the future? Uh, I'll break that into a couple parts. Um, so at a high level, you need data about your markets um, to make good program decisions. You need to know if students want to take the program. Um, you need to know, it's very popular these days to look at what employers want. Um, on, and we go back to errors, often only look at what employers want. Um, and that's really a big oversight. Uh, you also need to look at competition. So those are kind of about the big three uh, from our standpoint. And uh, you need to keep employment and student demand in balance because there are programs that employers want um, that cost a lot of money to launch that students don't want to take. So you can end up with a nice shiny lab with no students in it. Um, and I, I'm obviously exaggerating a bit, but you know, there's, a, there's a real issue there that just because their jobs doesn't mean they're students. And there are some very large programs and growing programs um, where the jobs aren't obvious. So they often don't get counted. Um, so keeping that in balance is really important. Um, you know, another thing in this process, well, the process is terribly important too, and making sure you got the right people involved. And the last thing is many institutions not only need to grow, they need to find a way to reduce cost or to, in a sense, cap the cost of teaching. I was just looking at the financials one recently where the revenues have dropped 40% over a period of four or five years and their faculty costs have actually increased over that period. Um, and obviously that's not sustainable. In fact, they're loose about a million dollars a year um, and their endowment is nowhere near deep enough to absorb that. So something has to get done on the cost side, but there the trick is to look below the program level um, and look at your courses, look at your class uh, size and work at the course level. Because if you cut a program, Oftentimes there's revenue associated with that. There's students who won't show up. It takes very little uh, loss of revenue to offset the cost savings. But very, very few students decide to come to college to take an individual course. And so if you go in and say, okay, how many different flavors of Elizabethan English do we need to be teaching? You know, and that sort of thing, you can, you can hone the portfolio without damaging um, your programs um, and reduce your instructional load. Um, you know, on your faculty and reduce the cost there. Uh, unfortunately, there's no way to reduce cost in higher ed without cutting people. Um, there just isn't very much other cost. So um, it does end up with a reduction typically uh, more in the adjunct uh, side just because it's easier. Um, but uh, I think you need to be doing both these days, looking for growth and finding cost. Um, and the place to find cost is in very detailed looks at classes and sections and so forth. Mm. Very important, very helpful insights. So can you share a couple of takeaways that webinar participants can expect uh, to walk away from your webinar with? 
Sure. Uh, first is, what data do you need to have to make informed decisions? Um, second, who do you need to have involved and what does the process look like uh, for reaching a consensus on the right programs to start or stop? Um, and uh, third is a practical way to go find cost if you need to, um, that you can do without it being too disruptive and while maintaining your overall portfolio programs. One of the cutting edge things you can now do is actually simulate the results of your decisions. So historically, what people have been able to do is sort of look at what their costs are today and hope that if they make a program decision that that cost represents what will change going forward. But it's not at all obvious that that's the case because programs cut across departments. So if I reduce my, I'll pick something, nursing program, um, I also reduce the number of people in my English classes because the required course for nursing. Well, does that mean I save money in English or am I just going to have sections with fewer people in them and actually drive up the cost per student in English? So there's some very complex modeling that needs to happen to figure out what the effect will be of changes in the program portfolio that looks across the institution and estimates all the program sizes and where you'll actually be able to reduce a section, where you'll have a section with a little bit less, you know, fewer people in it, but the same cost and so forth. Um, so one of the things we've been working on is actually building that simulation so you can before you make a program decision, you can actually run the numbers and see what's going to happen after it's done um, and make sure that it's actually a financially sound decision, whether that's to grow a program or add one or stop one. So I think that's a, that's a new capability that um, people should have. And that's not something that you can get elsewhere, right? I'm not aware of anybody else who offers that kind of uh, that service. There's that one other firm um, that does it that I'm aware of. Uh, they're about five times as expensive as we are. So they're, okay. they're a good, it's a good firm if you're a tier one research institution with a deep budget and very complicated, you know, internal financials, um, they fit well there. Uh, we sort of designed our product to be disrupted from the bottom up. So it's, it, it's, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that they have, um, but it, it can get the job done. Terrific. Well, I think this webinar is going to be very, very valuable. So a reminder that the webinar is free. It's scheduled for May 26th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. The registration link can be found in the show notes for this episode. Bob, thanks again so much. That's all for now. Stay healthy and be well. Mm -hmm.